Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey! Hey. Glad you're here. I thank God for you. If you're with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, man, we're delighted that God has brought you and he's brought you for his purposes. He wants to speak into your life. He's gone to all the trouble to arrange and orchestrate and maneuver in your life to get you here for this moment. And you've caught us going through uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're reading it four days a week leading up to Easter. It is stinking awesome. Um, I love it. And today um, we're ready for, you'll read the story this week in the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're ready for the story of David and Goliath. Now, even if you're newer to church or the Bible um, or the Christian faith, you likely have heard the story of David and Goliath, a a little guy, a young guy, an inexperienced guy, against all odds, takes on this mammoth of a man who was a killing machine, and David wins. Now, right up front, this is not a fairy tale with a moral at the end that gives us inspiration. This is these two characters, David and Goliath. It's one of the reasons I love to go to Israel and see all the archaeology because you find the proof and the authenticity of these characters. David was a real guy. Goliath was a real guy. They were in a real place. Let me show you a picture of the place. It's the Valley of Elah. Now, what you have to imagine is on these opposing hills, uh, massive armies laid out. Tents and campfires and piles of armor, piles of weaponry all over the place. And soldiers standing, mingling together, waiting to watch a champion from one side come out and face a champion from the other side. That's how battles were done back then. They didn't have an unlimited amount of men to be soldiers. And so representing one army would be one great big guy. Representing another army would be another great big guy. And they would go at each other. They were representatives. If this guy won, his whole army won. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to sharpen a weapon. If he lost, they all lost. And they would become the slaves of the other army. Now, I'm going to put you in the story with me. So as I tell it, I have certain things I want you to do. Let me show you the text. When I say Philistines, you say, boo. Have you ever heard of Gaza? Palestinians? That was the Philistines way, way, way back then. When I say Israel, you say, yay, they're the good guys in this story. If I say Goliath, you go crazy with your booze. And if I say David, then you, yay, yay, yay. Here we go. The Philistines and the Israelites, they faced each other on opposite hills with the Elah Valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, He came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. This dude is a freak of nature. Um, And he starts talking smack to the Israelite army. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, I, 
You guys are better than me. I am the Philistine champion. Say champion. champion. Yeah, that word, that word is the hinge on which everything turns in this account. It's, it's the very center of all the Bible means. That word champion is the hinge on which everything in the Bible turns. The Hebrew word benayim means one that's the Hebrew word for champion. You probably know that the Bible wasn't written in English. It means the one who stands between. Stands between the armies. Stands between death. Steps out between you and the enemy and fights for you. He's your representative. If he wins, you win. If he achieves victory, you achieve victory. Whatever he does is given to you. And so Goliath says... Do we need whole armies to settle this? I will represent the Philistines. You, you're awesome. I, I appreciate you drinking before you come to church. I'll represent the Philistines. You choose someone to be your champion. We will settle this in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you must be our slaves. I defy the army of Israel. I defy the army of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight with me. And for 40 days, every morning, every evening, the Philistine, the Philistine champion strutted. I'm bad. I'm bad. The Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite, the Israelite army. When King Saul, he's commander in chief. When King Saul and the Israelite army, when they heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Have you ever been terrified and deeply shaken? Financial problems, marital problems, health issues. I mean, this story, this real story in a real time in a real place with these two real historical figures forces us to face some real life questions. Number one, have you ever been terrified and deeply shaken? Number two, how do you deal with your fear? Do you just worry, worry, worry? Do you try to control the uncontrollable? And number three, where do you get courage when life scares you to death? Now, I'll, I'll be real. Um, probably all my life, I've had to deal with fear. 38 years ago, um, when this church called us, Deb and I, to be the pastor here, um, we came to Beloit from Evansville, Indiana. And we brought with us a three-month-old little boy and a three-year-old little boy. But our house in Evansville didn't sell. Not that year, not the next, not for three years. We had, to, we had tax bills in both states. We had to insure both properties. We had to, to, to our, our account was drained by expenses and repairs on both properties. I was, only, I was making less than $20,000 a year at that time. And I remember one day sitting at our dining room table with a Goliath-sized pile of bills in front of me, and I was just paralyzed. There was a pen, couldn't pick it up. There was a checkbook, couldn't reach it. Because I knew we didn't have the money to pay all the bills. 
I didn't, I didn't know what portion of what bill to pay. And it was, I, I, I'd never felt so helpless or powerless, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I know that you've been in a similar circle. Maybe for you, it wasn't finances. Maybe for you, I know I was with you. When you went into the hospital to have a baby and the doctor told you while you were having contractions, the baby would be stillborn. And so you had to go through all the labor. You had to go through delivery, knowing, scared to death, that your baby was already gone. Or, or maybe you stood at the, in the hospital at the bedside of a loved one as they were painfully slipping away from this life. Or maybe it was unemployment. You lose your job. Unemployment is grossly less than you were normally making. And then the unemployment funds run out. And what are you going to do? And you are terrified and deeply shaken. Or maybe you're in the sterile doctor's office when he gives you the news. It's fourth stage cancer. We've all been there when we are terrified and deeply shaken. And then we make matters worse by putting our focus on all the wrong things, on all the wrong ideas. Our thinking goes out of control and we magnify, we multiply our fears. Here's the deal. Your fears are fueled by a faulty focus. If you think, when you're afraid, if you think about the wrong thing, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. It just burn, it consumes your heart, consumes your mind out of control. Like here's a faulty focus. Hey, if I've got enough money, I don't have to be afraid of the future. Hey, if I'm in a relationship, I don't have to be afraid of being alone. Hey, if I'm a good Christian, I don't have to be afraid of bad things happening to me. That worked out real well for Jesus, who was perfect and yet crucified on a cross. Faulty focus magnifies our fears. And Goliath understood this. In fact, his warfare really was more psychological warfare than it was having to actually fight because he knew that if his appearance, his size, his strength, his weaponry, he had the most high tech of defenses. Check this out. He wore a bronze helmet. They didn't even have bronze in Israel at the time. He's got bronze, a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail, his armor weighed 125 pounds. I'm guessing David didn't weigh 125 pounds. And he wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin. And he knew he could intimidate and threaten and frighten and make unsettled his enemies just by the sight of him. You see, what I believe is that Goliath was just as afraid of those that he intimidated. He was hiding behind false courage. He thought because he was big, he thought because he was strong, he thought because he had the best in weaponry and armor that he could, he could win. It was false courage. And false courage is just another form of fear. And so he's out there, you know, he's shouting out the taunts. Give me somebody who'll fight me and strutting his stuff in his armor and with his big old javelin. Come on, give me somebody who'll fight me. And so David, word on the street hits him 
What's going on? He makes a beeline to the military headquarters of the commander in chief, King Saul. And he said, Saul, King Saul, sir, this is your lucky day. I'll be your champion. I'll go out and, and kick some serious giant butt. I've always wanted to say giant butt in church. <laughs> David says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. And Saul starts laughing. You, you ain't nothing. You don't have what it takes. You're laughable. This is a joke, right? Here's what King Saul says. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. One thing you've fought with so far is acne. <laughs> he has been a man of war since his youth. Saul says, the only thing you got going for you is that you smell like sheep poop. <laughs> David says, I am a shepherd, and it can be a dangerous job. David goes on to say, if a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. David liked to go clubbing. <laughs> I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. And I'll do the same to this Philistine. For he has defied the army of the living God. David tells the king why he's willing to fight. Nobody talks trash about my God. And then David tells the king how he's going to fight. It ain't going to be with armor. It's not going to be with wild bravery and crazy courage. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. See the deal, when I have financial struggles, when you have marital struggles, when, when I have emotional struggles, when, when you have struggles at work, the victory is going to come not from your ingenuity, not from your intellect, not from the amount of your education or the amount of money in your bank account. The victory will come on the basis of your relationship with the Lord. You see, real courage is always fueled by a faith focus. It's not the courage I have in me and what I can do and what I've got. It's the confidence I have in the Lord. And so David, he goes out and picks up five smooth stones, about probably about three inches in diameter, about that thick, smooth. And don't think for a second that a weapon, uh, excuse me, that a sling was no big thing. It was Huge. I'll tell you in just a second. He picks up these five smooth stones from a stream, puts them in a shepherd's bag, and then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Yeah. The sling. In that time, armies had entire troops who, who used slings. And a well-trained soldier, they usually fought beside the archers, but a well-trained soldier with a sling could send a, 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 a rock three inches in diameter, could send its winging 60 miles an hour. That'll leave a mark. Well, Goliath has personally insulted that this kid, no armor, only a sling and a shepherd's staff, will come out against him. Here's what he says. Sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy, Goliath. Curse David. Goliath yelled, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds. 
David said, you come at me with sword and spear. I'll come at you in the name of the Lord. Notice how many times he uses the Lord's name to establish where his victory is going to come from, to establish where his courage and confidence is going to come from. It's not how smart I am. It's not how big I am. It's not how much experience I have. It's that the Lord is on my side. Today, the Lord will conquer you. I'll kill you. Cut off your head. David was ambitious. He knew how to get ahead. Thank you for not booing. Okay. Okay. Everyone here, both sides of this valley, every soldier on every side, everyone here will know that the Lord rescues his people. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Because David is representing a whole army. If he wins, they all win. If he loses, they all lose and become slaves. And so this just outrages uh, a Goliath and he moves in for the kill. Goliath moved closer to attack. David, David quickly ran out to meet him. Now this is where so often people like me that were raised in church where the story went wrong. The teacher would say, this is how you overcome fear. You face your fears. You charge your fears. You find out that there's nothing to be afraid of. Wrong, 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 wrong. David is not setting an example for us to follow. He wasn't setting an example for the army. Hey, you guys watch how I do it, then you can do it, we'll win. He wasn't trying to give them a pep talk like, I'll motivate that, that army. I'll inspire that army. When they see me going out after the giant, they'll be inspired to join me in the attack. No, no, no. This story is not about Goliath. This story is not about David. This story is not about going up against all odds and facing our fears. This story is all about Jesus, the ultimate champion. You see, everything in the Bible means something and everything points to Jesus. So here's what happens. Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine right between the eyes. And the, so, the stone sank in. Goliath, he stumbled and fell fa face planted on the ground. And David yeah. triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. He became everything his people needed. He was willing to be the Bainayim and go and stand between the two armies. He was willing to face the challenge. What he achieves, his whole army achieves. That's what they needed. They needed a savior. They needed a deliverer. They needed one who could rescue them and make sure they did not become slaves. Everything in this story is meant to point to Jesus. Here's point number one. Just like Jesus, David saves his people with his weakness. He's a little guy. He's the inexperienced guy. He's the guy without modern weaponry or armor in his weakness. In fact, it was his weakness that made Goliath overconfident, put him within sling range, got himself killed. 
That's how Jesus saved us through his weakness. Look at the word of God. Scripture says Christ was sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross. But oh baby, he's alive right now in the mighty power of God. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins as our Benayim, as our champion, as the one who took our place, as the one who was our substitute, as the one who fought the battle with hell, death, and the grave, and he won. And what he won, all of his rewards are ours. His victory is ours. His greatness is ours. But he achieved it not as almighty God with lightning bolts and calling down 10,000 times 10,000 angels. He did it by giving up. He did it by surrendering. Did it laying out wrists to be spiked to a bloodstained cross, allowing uh, uh, spikes to be driven through his ankles. Look what the word of God says. Now, Christ is not weak when he deals with you. Uh-uh. He is powerful. Among you. His resurrection power is available for your financial struggles and your marital struggles and your conflicts with your friends or your children or struggles at work. He is a supernatural power is available. In fact, I go so far as to say, if your life is not functioning the supernatural, it's simply superficial. But his power is available. Um, Ephesians 3.20. He is able... He is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine. According to what? According to his power that's at work within you. It's his power. It's the Lord's power. It's the Lord's battle, the Lord's victory. And when he wins, you win. Point number two, pointing to Jesus. David points to Jesus as the ultimate champion. The ultimate Benayim. Who goes to fight the ultimate enemy, death. He does it by dying on a cross. He does it by going into hell and stealing the keys of hell, death, and the grave, making them his own. On the cross, he literally becomes your sin. On the cross, you are in Jesus. And all the condemnation do you and I for our sin, it all falls on Jesus. He takes it all. In fact, he's literally made to be your sin on the cross. So the scripture says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He takes all the judgment of God. He takes all the anger of God. And when you fully surrender your life to Jesus, acknowledge that he was God in the flesh, lived a sinless life, knew no sin, did no sin, willingly laid his life down on the cross to pay for your sin, and God raised him from the dead. When you believe that, God will never be angry with you because Jesus took in himself all the anger of God. He'll never judge you because Jesus took all the judgment of God to us for our sin. He was taking our place as our substitute, as our Benayim, our champion. So we keep looking to Jesus we keep looking, because what he achieves, that's our achievement. What he wins, that's our victory. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. I'm going to say, who is Jesus? You're going to say, Jesus is our champion. Here we go. Here we go. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our champion. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our champion. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our 
Yeah. So when life goes sideways, when life goes south, when life presents you, your circumstances become a painful impossibility. You don't say, hey, I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I got enough money. No, you say, hey, Jesus is my champion. He'll fight the fight. He'll win the battle. And his victory is my victory. His greatness is my greatness. And what he achieves is what I achieve in life. My Jesus is going to take care of it. My Jesus is my champion. Okay, next point. David only saves his people from physical death. Jesus saves his people from eternal death and hell. Point number four. David only risked his life for his people. Jesus saves us at the cost, the sacrificial cost of his own life. Point number five. David only went to the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus actually goes into death itself and wins. Point number six, if Jesus is your champion, all his greatness and victory is your greatness and victory. See, when Jesus, in his weakness, allowed himself to be crucified, they didn't, they didn't murder him. He gave his life. He gave his life for you. He gave his life thinking of you. He gave his life to pay for your sins. Not his own. He had none. He was the perfect sacrifice. Right now, because he was obedient to the point of death and raised from the dead, he is at the right hand of God. Do you believe that Jesus is highly favored by God right now? It's not a rhetorical question. Or maybe it is a rhetorical question. It's not rocket Yes, he is highly favored. Jesus has his lips right at the ear of God. You think Jesus is fully pleasing in God's eyes? That's you. Your prayers, your lips are right at the ears of God. You are highly exalted. You are highly favored. You are deeply loved. You are honored by the one true and living God. How can I say that? Because the word of God says, as he, Jesus, is right now, so are you in this world. That's the truth. Now, you may not believe the reality. You may not live the reality. You may live beneath your potential. But the truth about you, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've made him your champion, everything that is true of him is true of you. As he is, so are you in this world. So, let me ask you, what, what has the power? What's your worst nightmare? What has the power to scare you to death? You know, whatever your fear is, all fear comes from three major fears. One, the loss of love. Two, the loss of what I have, my finances, my job, my, my possessions. And third, the loss of life through sickness, death, loss of your life, the loss of the life of a, of a loved one. But the fear behind all fears is alienation from God. Because if you don't know God, if you are separated from God, if you are estranged from God, then you're lost. And that's the ultimate loneliness, the ultimate loss of love. That's the ultimate poverty. That's the ultimate death, eternal hellish 
So where do you find courage? When you face life's worst fears. I got to tell you, true courage is not an absence of fear. It's the presence of joy. If Jesus is your champion, joy is always on the way. I got some financial problems out there in my situation, but here comes my champion. He's going to win for me. I'm taking joy. I got some health issues out there in my circumstance, but here comes my champion. He's going to win for me, and that's my joy. I got some relational difficulty out of my situation, but there comes my champion, and I'm going to get the joy of relationship reconciled and restored and made right in the name of Jesus Christ. There's my champion. There's my champion. Here comes my joy. Joy defeats fear every time. I gave you the first part of Hebrews 12 too. Here's the rest of it. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him the joy of seeing you saved. The joy of seeing you in heven forever. The joy of seeing you live the super abundant life of Jesus right now. But for the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took it all. He's our champion. He's the ultimate champion. And because he won over hell, death, and the grave, we win over hell, death, and the grave. Because he lived the superabundant life, we can live the superabundant life. Now, I also haven't told you the whole David and Goliath story. When Goliath face planted, everybody knew it. You see, it was a legally binding process. When two Benayim did battle, and one won and the other lost. Everybody knew. It was sanctioned by law. The losing army became slaves of the winning army. I want to tell you something. If you are ever prosecuted in a court of law, you better have a brilliant attorney who advocates for you. And you better keep your mouth shut. And let the attorney do his thing. Because if he is brilliant, that's your brilliance. If he wins, that's your victory. It's as, it's as if you were all tied up in your advocate, your attorney. That's why we are in Christ. We are all tied up in his joy and his peace and his hope and his love. So while everybody is running like crazy, the Philistines are running mayhem, chaos, full retreat, stampeding on each other. Tents are falling down, catching on fire. And as the Israeli army is charging after them to make them their slaves, in the midst of all that mayhem, David calmly walks over to Goliath, pulls out his giant sword, bam, cuts off his head, picks up his head, and carries it over 20 miles to a hill outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And he buries the head of Goliath, Goliath from Gath. He buries Goliath's head in a hole in this hill outside the city gates. And that hill became called Golgotha, the place of the, the place of the skull. And that hill, Golgotha, where David buried 
Goliath's head, that's the hill where they crucified Jesus, who by his shed blood paid for our sins and became our champion. Goliath from Gath on Golgotha, the place of the skull. And that's where Jesus crushed the head of Satan. He is our champion. He is our victory. What he achieves, we achieve. How he's rewarded is our reward. And his life is in us. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.